0: You guys ever seen, I've seen a handful of, of silly comedies where somebody shows up, a place where they're greeted, like maybe they're going to visit a castle, and the servant answers the door, and they say, walk this way. And so they've got a funny walk, maybe a limp or something, and of course the joke is the person following does the exact same thing. And they, you ever seen that? I've seen a, a couple of movies that had that in, as a joke in there, and, uh. Of course, what you're really saying when you tell somebody, walk this way, or when you're greeted by somebody, you go to a business or whatever, and they say, walk this way, what are they saying? Follow me. Come along this way. We're going in this direction, right? And that's what, well, that's what Jesus asks of people, to follow me. And when he says, follow me, he really means to walk like him. Obviously not with a limp or a gimpy walk or whatever, but to walk the way he walks to live the way he lives and somehow we have taken this in in the modern age and i'm sure it's been going on in other times too but uh instead of telling people how they should follow jesus or that they should follow jesus and and try to be like jesus and live like him it seems like we've we've kind of tried to simplify it and cut things out make it easy and and instead of following jesus we say just pray this prayer. Repeat this prayer after me and, and we'll give them some words. And if you pray this prayer, and I've heard a lot of people, just pray this prayer and then you don't have to worry about hell and you can walk however you want. You just live your life and once you've prayed the prayer, it's like you've gotten a, a an ing- a shot you know, that's given you immunity against hell and you can just do whatever you want. And that's not what follow me is about. When Jesus says, follow me. He's not just saying say a few magic words, and then you don't have to worry about anything. He's saying it's, it's not an invitation to pray a prayer. It's, a, it's an invitation to give up your life. to The, the gospel, if you, I mean, if you think about it, for a, a normal average person, the gospel is not very palatable. It's not something that we think, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know, it's not something you put in a commercial these days it's a call to trials and tribulation and persecution. And that's what Jesus said. He was always warned us, you know, you you follow me. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And it's a little nerve wracking to think about what Jesus called his disciples to. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus said, follow me. And he went to the cross and all of his disciples, except for Judas, of course, they were all martyred. They were all killed because they followed him just like he was killed. And yet at the same time, I fully believe that if they ever had to do it over again, you know, if they were taken back in time and given the chance, they would do the exact same thing. Probably not Judas. But the other disciples, even though they were killed as martyrs and, and tortured and abused and locked in prison, I think they would do the exact same thing over again. So how about you? When you think about what Jesus is asking, to follow me. As Christians, those of you who claim to be Christians, are you really biblically, personally following Jesus? Is all the trouble worth it to us when we think about it? And, and you know, because uh, when you think about Jesus' life on earth, it's an amazing life. I mean, He did amazing things. Incredible stuff. And He is, it seems to me that Jesus is the most kind and most compassionate and merciful and wise teacher that the world has ever known. And his life was all about helping people and helping the people who needed it the most, broken people. And and he, he healed the sick, and he cast out demons, and he brought the dead back to life. And he did it out of kindness and compassion. And he was just so good. It's crazy to think about how much trouble Jesus subjected himself to. Because for doing this, he was tortured and beaten and mocked and and hung on a cross. And he chose to subject himself to all this trouble in order to enter into our brokenness and to come reach us at our worst and to, to help the people who deserved it the least. And then he asks us to follow him into that same kind of life. To go out and live like it. To be kind and compassionate and to help those who need the, the, the most help even though they might deserve it the least. Even though they might persecute you for it. Even though you might wind up in a lot of trouble. And, and so he went around and he gathered his, his disciples. And he'd go and he'd find them fishing. And he'd say, follow me. Or he'd find them collecting taxes. Follow me. And he went around and and wherever they were and whatever they were doing, he'd say, follow me. And and I wonder what the words meant to the disciples. Like, like when they heard it, here comes this guy who obviously they, they must have heard about Jesus because they wouldn't follow some stranger. So they, they'd heard about him. They knew who he was when he came to ask them, when he said, follow me. So what did they think? What did they, What thoughts went through their head when this famous person, at least in their region, came this guy had been doing miracles and had large crowds going after him and he came to them and they're in the midst of doing their work their jobs and he said hey follow me what do they think well, where are you going where am i going to follow you to what are what are we going to be doing how how long should i pack for like what's going on and jesus doesn't share any of that information it seems like the closest he gets is well if you want to follow me sell all your stuff give all the money to the poor, and then pick up your cross, which they used to kill people on, and follow me. And it's it's not very inviting. I mean, if you think about it, he just says, follow me. And doesn't give them a lot of details. And probably if he did tell them the details about what they were going to get into and what they were going to face, they would have kept fishing and said, no, thank you, because I'd rather not go through all that trouble and persecution and, and death. And they ended up following him right into martyrdom, and and these, if I mean you and I, if Jesus came and he said, "Follow me," and I think we'd want to ask the same kind of questions. Well, what are we going into? How long do you want me to follow? What will it cost? Will I get anything out of it? That's the way our culture thinks, at least. What if you go where I don't want to go? Because we're so used to living in a culture, in a society that says, what's in it for me? Right? That's, that's, our, that's how we live these days. What's in it for me? It's my life, and I want to live it however I want to live it. I'll, I make my own decisions, and I'm in charge of myself. Of course, the longer you live, those of us with more experience than, than others, you, the, it seems like the longer you go, the more you realize just how little control you have over your own life and how things happen that you have zero control over. But, but when Jesus says, follow me, it's, he's not arranging a sightseeing tour. He's not like he's saying, we're going to go do, see some places and I'll show you some things. What he's calling us into is not a destination, but a relationship. He says, follow me so I can teach you to be like me. And we can share a relationship, and you can grow and, and He wants to form a partnership, a covenant with us. He wants to live and work and be with you forever, side by side in everything you do. And and He wants to be willing to make everything else in your life become second place. So He's saying, follow me, make this relationship, this covenant, this partnership, your first and foremost priority and be willing to set everything else aside. To drop your fishing nets and leave your boat and follow me. To leave your, your tax collection to stop worrying about where your income is going to come from or who's going to take care of your, your stuff or whatever. Just make that second priority. Come and follow me. Whatever I ask you to do, wherever I tell you to go, follow me. And it's it's a... This is why God designed marriage the way He did. You know, we talk about marriage being a covenant relationship. And marriage is meant, the Bible tells us, it's supposed to be like a miniature model of the relationship we are to have with God. That's what marriage is. It's a picture of what God wants with us. So when you say, I do, to your spouse, you're saying, I don't, to every other person. Right? You have exclusive rights in our relationship. We are a partnership and everyone else comes second. You are first and foremost. And, I, and so saying I do to Jesus is a lot more than just saying he, I believe you died for my sins. It's putting our faith and our trust in Him, depending on Him to guide and empower us in this partnership and, and saying I forsake all others. You are my main priority. And it's kind of like it's a trust relationship. That's why we call it faith and trust in Jesus. It's, if, if you've ever seen, like when cheerleaders get together and they throw each other up in the air, that's a, it takes a lot of trust, right? Because you've got to pray, you're going to catch me, right? You're not just going to throw me in the air and miss me. And, and it's the same thing if you've ever seen acrobats, like the, you know, the trans peace artists. They have to time that perfectly because if the other person doesn't swing at the right time and the other person lets go and they swing and they're not there, they're going to hit the ground. So it's a trust relationship. Military commanders, and you know, if you're a soldier in a battlefield. You got to trust that whoever's running this thing is doing their best to coordinate, so you find victory and you're not defeated. So everybody's working together, and there's a lot of trust involved in in, in jobs like that. And so Jesus is calling us to enter in the, into a trust relationship where we depend on each other. And and he because he, I mean, God could do whatever he wanted. He doesn't need us, right? but He calls us into partnership and He trusts us to do what He calls us to do. And we trust Him to help us to follow through, to give us whatever we need to to obey Him. And it's a dangerous calling. And He tells us that. It will be dangerous and you will face trials and, and troubles and persecutions. People will hate you because you follow Me. And He tells us that. He warns us. And, I don't, and he says, I don't even have a place where I can rest my head at night. I don't know where we're going to sleep. I don't know where our food's going to come from. But I'm asking you to trust me. And we'll go, through. follow me. And, and so if you think about all that and what he's asking us into, following is not a normal thing. Like when you think about our culture and it's about, well, what am I going to get out of it? How is this going to benefit me? M- most people would say, no way. I'm not going that way. I don't want anything to do with that. Because it will cost you a lot. And, and But the rewards are not fame and fortune and, and comfort. The rewards are out of this world. The rewards are true life and peace and joy and, and eternal life. So it's kind of like an investment. When you think about faith in Christ, it's kind of like I am sacrificing now for a reward that's to come. Yes, it's going to be hard and difficult there'll be ups and downs but i'm looking forward to the prize that's coming he's basically asking us to trade everything we have for something else that he wants to give us and the bible says this is a great treasure it's a pearl of great price it's something that is so valuable that you have no second thoughts about selling everything you have for that one treasure and of course we like to cling to our things because it you know it feels safe if we've got our house and our stuff and it, it you know that's our comfort zone we like to to cling to our our comforts and our our traditions and and the way we're this is the way we always do it this is what i'm used to and i don't like to do it differently and we all do that and in a we've got, it's like we have our security blankets that we hold on to in our stuff or our retirement accounts or our are the things we're used to? We you know we always seem to take the same direction when we go places. If you're going to work or church or whatever, it's not like we go adventurous directions to find out different paths. It's, we do the same thing because we get in this this comfort zone of uh, it makes us feel safe, and and that's what makes and and we tend to start to think, well, that's what makes life good. You know, if I've got lots of money, if I'm healthy, if I have plenty of food, that's what makes life good. But Jesus is saying. All that stuff is a trap. Don't let that stuff be your priority. Don't let making money and, and having a house and, and, or, or being the, you know, the boss or whatever, don't let that be what is the priority of your life. By, because by letting all that stuff go, by being willing to drop your nets and follow me, I'm setting you free instead of letting that stuff be your God, instead of letting your career be your God or your money be your God or your, or your, your friends or your you know, whatever, instead of letting that stuff be what rules your life, follow me and I will set you free from all that stuff. I'm setting you free so that you can follow me. And what I'm leading you into is going to be much better. And it might look difficult now, but it's going, you'll see in the end that it's absolutely worth it. So choosing to follow Jesus absolutely has life-altering implications. You cannot follow Jesus and do things the same way. It means that your life is going to be shaken up. And it's, it's as scary as it is rewarding. When he says, follow me, he's saying, by the way, the, you know, there's no turning back. We're getting into something that... that you. It's kind of like, I've, I've been skydiving. I've told you this story before. And the very first time, it was we were in a little Cessna So a small plane that's meant to hold like four people, you know, two seats in the front, two seats in the back. But they had torn all the the seats out except for the pilot. And so we're, a group of us kind of huddled on the, on the floor and I'm right next to the door. I'm the first one to go out and he pops the door and instead, and it, and it flaps up like this. And I look out and there's thousands of feet of nothing between me and the ground and so it's kind of a small door, so you don't jump out. What we do is you step out on the strut. There's like a little step on the, on the landing gear. And you step on that, and then you grab the, the, the frame piece, the strut between the wing and the body of the plane, and you step off so you're just hanging. And then you look up, and he says, go. And you are supposed to let go. And trust that your parachute's going to work. And my very first time, my parachute didn't work. I let go, and it, you know—you pull the thing and it comes out, but it's still crumpled up in a ball. So it came out of the pack, but it's kind of doing nothing. It's just kind of shaking in the air. So I'm like, uh-oh, this is not the way I want things to go. So you've got little handles that control, because you can kind of steer them a little bit. So I grab those handles and I start pumping with all my, that I can to get that, and finally it opens up. And so thankfully it, it, it ended up working. But when you jump out of the plane, you, there's no turning back. When you let go, when you say okay to Jesus, you're on a trajectory, and He's got a plan for you, and, and, and he, He's saying, I want you to be prepared to, to go, and go with me. And when you get into us, you're gonna, you're, there's not going to be a way to turn around. So it, it's kinda, instead of worrying about where Jesus is going to take us, What we ought to try to understand is who Jesus is. Because we're talking about a relationship, a partnership. So what am I getting involved in? I'm less worried about the places we're going to go than I am about who it is that I'm partnering with. And it's kind of like getting married. When you get married, you have no idea what life is going to bring you as a couple. Right? Who knows if times are going to be good or times are going to be bad. But you do want a partner that you will be willing to go through all of it with, whether it's good or bad. And those are the vows that we say, right? Whether we're rich or poor, whether we're sick or healthy, whatever we go through, good or bad, I want you to be by my side. And that's what we should be interested in when we follow Jesus. What? Who am I partnering with? Who is it that I'm following? Because that's way more important than where we're going. Because if I trust this person, if I trust him, then I trust that he's going to be looking out for me and he's going to have my best interests at heart. Even when things are up and down and I don't I have no idea I have no idea, you know, you're going through persecution, whatever, I trust and I want, I would rather be with you through all the ups and downs than by myself and all the ups and downs. So when you make that, you, you know, you should make make sure you know somebody before you get married, because you have no idea what life will bring. So you want to make sure you, have the, you, know, this, you can trust this person that you're going to go through life with. So, so when you make that wise choice and you think about it and you count the cost, you, you realize, those of you who have been married for a while, that if you have a covenant relationship and you really do trust one another, it makes life better. In the ups, it's great. And in the downs, it's even better because here you have somebody you can trust who's going to look out for you and going to take care of you even when things are bad you can depend on one another and you're so grateful to have that partner with you when life gets troublesome and Jesus designed and built us to have a relationship with him we were designed we were always intended by God when he made humanity to have a relationship with him it's built into our circuitry and so that's a good thing it's the, i mean we that's why you know, when a couple is married and they come in a relationship, life is better, ups and downs, when you have that partnership. And Jesus designed us to have a relationship with Him. In Matthew 8, 14, He cares about us. This is our scripture, getting close to our scripture for the day. It talks about how He, he, he obviously, He does care about us. He wants our best. In uh, Matthew 8, verse 14, He goes to Peter's house, and it says, Now when Jesus entered Peter's house, He saw. Peter's mother in law laying down sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and then she got up and began to serve them. Now, did Peter's mom have to do, get any, do anything to get Jesus to care about her health? No, he just saw her laying there sick, and, and he went over to her and helped her. She doesn't have to win his favor, she doesn't have to offer to trade him anything. He just sees somebody who's not doing so well, and he goes over. And he he touches her hand because he cared about her. Here's a sick woman, and I can do something to make her well. And he chooses to heal because that's just who God is. He's been healing people left and right because God is a healer. And if you think about it, think about your life, what do you and I have to do in order to win God's forgiveness? Nothing. We do just as much as Peter's mom did to get healing. We do absolutely nothing to get God to care about us. He cares about us before we care about Him. And, and so He wants to forgive us. He wants our lives to be better. In First John four nineteen, it says, We love because He loved us first. And so He teaches us that. And, and we learn it from God. And like any of us would be, you can imagine Peter's mom was surely happy to be healthy again. Because we've all been sick. You know what it's like to be sick and, and fever and throwing up and all that other stuff and, and tired and worn out and fatigued. So when you're feeling good again, it's uh, oh, it's such a good thing to be healthy again. And so she's feeling good again and out of her thankfulness and joy just to be healthy, she's happy to whip up something for the boars to eat. I'm not sure who all was with them there, but you know at least Peter and Jesus. and And in the same way that you and I that, that she was happy to be serving, that's why you and I should serve. We don't serve to try to win God's favor. We don't obey God to try and earn points or, or get Him to forgive us. He's already willing to heal us and forgive us. The reason we serve Him is out of the gladness for His life-saving gifts, that His salvation, His grace, that thank You so much, Jesus, and out of that thankfulness, we serve, just like Peter's mom. And so Jesus is the human expression of god's love for us he healed because god is a loving healer everything jesus does you think about his amazing life and his compassion and his kindness and his willingness to help people who were at their worst when especially even when people didn't deserve it that that's who god is jesus said in john fourteen nine, the person who has seen me has seen the father and I think a lot of people have this image of Jesus as the nice one and the Father is the mean one. And that the Father just wants to judge us and step on us because we do wrong. But Jesus is the image of the Father. Everything Jesus does, that's what God does. And so when Jesus reaches out and heals people and shows His kindness and compassion, that's the same thing the Father does. And so he's when when Jesus says following when he says follow me, he's asking us to be with God, to be in a relationship. Remember Enoch in Genesis, and it said he walked with God, and they had such a great relationship and such a, a love for one another that Enoch just he took him right up to heaven. And and by the way, I've heard people say when you know when somebody passes away and they say God just wanted them to come home, you know. and people die of, of horrible things, cancer and car accidents and tragic stuff like that, and, and somebody says, well, God was just calling them home. That's not how God... God doesn't call people home through illness and sickness and injury and death. God calls people home like Enoch and Elijah if God wants to call people home. Death is the enemy. Remember that. Death is the enemy... And that's just that's an aside. That that's not what I'm talking about. But but Enoch walked with God. They had a relationship, and and God enjoyed him so much that he he just brought him to heaven. And he and he wants the same thing with all of us. He wants to walk with every single one of us like that, to have a relationship of love and trust, even when we don't seem worth it, even when it's when we don't deserve it. it. after Adam and Eve and sinned, before Enoch, you know, back in the garden, and he said, don't eat the fruit of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did it anyway. And they decided instead of trusting God and what he said was good and bad, instead of just saying, okay, God, you say that's bad, I'm not going to touch it. Instead of trusting Him, they decided, you know what? It looks good to me. I'm not going to trust God. It looks good to me. I'm going to eat it. And they decided for themselves, what was good and what was bad. They decided that they were going to make up their own terms for good and evil. And God could have said, you know what? Forget you. I'm done with you. He still wanted to walk with him, And he went, the Bible says he was in the garden walking and he knew, he knew what they were doing. They were hiding from him because they, were, they felt the guilt and shame of doing what they knew they shouldn't have done. And yet he called them out. And he said not to smash them, he called them out because he still loved them and he wanted to move toward them in their brokenness in their sin and bring them out of the guilt and shame jesus wants us to call us out of our sin out of our brokenness to walk with him and and he knows the best thing we could ever have is a relationship with him that that's what's good for us and he wants to bless us and treat us as children of the king in john 10 27 Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. Jesus wants us to know Him. That's God's desire is for us to know Him. Don't boast about your riches or your strength or your wisdom. Boast that you know me. That you understand me. That's what God says. And so, God's not like, Hiding, Jesus is revealing God to us. Jesus is not like, you know, like the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy and the and her friends go to visit the Wizard of Oz, and he's really just a little old man behind a curtain, but he's got this big nasty face. That's not God. Jesus is saying, when you see me, you see the real thing in God, and and if and if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, and He wants to live life with you. So the question for us is: Do you trust Him? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he really is like Jesus, that he really does want to reach out to us in compassion and kindness, even when we don't deserve it, and that he's the only one who can give us real life and real peace, that no one comes to the Father but through him? Do you believe that? And, And he's gone through so much to reach us. We usually consider peace as getting away from everybody. I really, you know, we have four kids at home that we dearly love, but it's so nice when they go to bed and you have a moment of peace, right? And that's what we think of peace, that you get away from all the noise and all the hustle and the bustle and you, and you don't have to deal with, you know, work and whatever and all the, the nonsense of busy lives, and that's what peace is. And yet Jesus, he, he went in the opposite direction and he, uh, you know, put himself in the midst of chaos. He chose to go where all the crowds and the hustle and the bustle, he spent his time with those who were needy and broken and outcasts and, and tax collectors and sinners and the people who needed his help the most. And it seems like more often than not, there were these large crowds of people bustling in to try to get to see him because they wanted, to, they wanted miracles for themselves or they wanted to see him do something amazing. And they were all, It's like all these people were surrounding Jesus because they wanted something from him. They went, What can you do for me, Jesus? And he could have chosen to, to stay away. He could have chosen to, I'm not going to deal with this mess. I'm not gonna, I want to get away from all this craziness. And instead, his choice was to be there with us in all our issues, in all our greed and selfishness. And he chose, instead of going away and having his own peace, to come and bring peace in the midst of our chaos. He brought healing to where there was sickness and forgiveness to where there was sin and hope to where there was hopelessness and freedom to where there was slavery and, and possession by evil spirits and that kind of thing. And, and the next verse in Matthew, in eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 16, it says, When it was evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Him, and He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So you got all these people with serious problems that are coming to him, and he's hanging out with them and and healing them. And now I'm sure that there are plenty of us who are probably wishing, man, I wish Jesus was still around healing people, because I would be in that crowd. I would be shoving for a chance to get up there and, and just to have him touch me and have all my problems go away. Wouldn't it be nice if I could get rid of the the pain and the and the and the struggle and, and and I do believe that Jesus still heals today. I, I've seen a number of people healed of various illnesses that you know the doctors couldn't explain. I've heard doctors say, "I have no idea how this is better." You know, it's got to be a God thing, and I've seen it happen sometimes after you know a single prayer, or sometimes after weeks, months, or even years of prayer that it's taken for this to happen. And some people might say, well, that's just coincidence. You know, it's just the... Or, or, and others might say, well, it's just the amazing ability that God's designed into our, our DNA, that we have this immune system that can fight stuff off, which is an amazing system. And, and that, you know, some people might just say, well, you know, we've got this ability to, to, to fight off disease and recover from injury. And other people might say, it's just the prayer. You know, we prayed and this thing happened and there's no other way to explain it because the doctors don't even understand how it happened. And of course, there, were, there are plenty of times when I've seen people, probably a whole lot more often, who have been sick or injured who weren't healed. That we prayed, God, please take this cancer away. Please make them well. Please bring them back to me. You know, they've been injured. They've been in an accident. Please don't let them die. And... And the, and the prayers didn't work no matter how much we prayed and these days it it seems like that more often than not at least in my experience that you hear more miracle stories out of the places where the gospel is not available like in countries where it's illegal to have a bible or it's illegal to be a christian it seems like more often i hear stories of the miracles happening there than i do here where we've got you know, plenty of Bibles and plenty of medical facilities. It's almost like God uses the miraculous to demonstrate His love and grace for people who aren't able to learn it from the Bible, who can't open the book and read about how amazing Jesus is. And that's where He does more of the miracle work because that's the only way that they can kind of see what God can do. And plus, we have, I think we're just used to having such an amazing, you know, you can call a phone number and they 'll send an ambulance to your house or wherever you are and take you to the, the hospital if you need their services then so if we get injured or sick or something, our first reaction instead of getting God involved is to call the doctor and so we 're so used to just depending on ourselves that you know God doesn 't seem to need to be as involved, but I do believe God heals and sh- actually Sharon last week she shared an ins- she found a note from Dean Harvey in her Bible that he preached on. On verse seventeen, where it says, In this way, when, when Peter or when Jesus healed Peter's mom, and then he he was healing the the, de- the sick people and casting out demons, that the next verse in verse seventeen says, In this way what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet was fulfilled. He took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. And she said Dean emphasized how Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy in the work that he did while he was on earth, that he healed people and took away their diseases. And so the people who try to tell you that this this prophecy means that anybody and everybody who has enough faith will be healed of all their physical problems, they don't know what they're talking about. That just because you pray a prayer or say some magic words doesn't mean that God has to do what you want. That God chooses who he's going to heal and who he's not going to heal. And there were surely thousands and probably millions of people who were not healed while Jesus was on the earth. A lot of them probably just because they didn't live anywhere close to Israel and so they never had any ability to come close to Jesus. And, and it wasn't because they lacked faith. It was, part, I think, partly because they weren't close and, and then partly because I think God has reason and purpose when He heals. I think there's a, a, He heals people for a reason. And He cares for everybody and he, and he will eventually heal every sickness and every disease for every believer. That we will all one day be healed of all our infirmities. So we'll get that. Doesn't mean we'll get it today. It might mean we don't get it until we get to see Him in glory. And if, as a matter of fact, one day he promises that there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain. And Paul talks about how it, it might seem tough now, but really this is just a light and momentary affliction. Yes, I understand it seems tough, but if you wait until I show you your full reward, you'll understand that this was not such a big deal. And so we, we are promised healing eventually but not necessarily today. And of course, it would be more comfortable for us if we could just say some words and have instant healing every single time. That would be kind of nice. But I believe that God has just as much reason and purpose for not healing us, who are believers, as He does for healing when He heals. I believe that when God says no, He has just as much reason and purpose for saying no as He does when He says yes. And I think part of that reason is because He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to to understand that, yes, I will be with you, and I want you to depend on me through your weakness. Remember when He said no to Paul? And Paul had this infirmity, and he says, I prayed over and over and over again that that God would take it away, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to heal you right now, Paul. I want you to learn to depend on me to trust that don't trust in your own strength in your own ability trust in me to see you through what you need to do and and jesus spent his lives on us and and he still wants to bring freedom to people who are trapped in their sin he wants to help us he still wants to pick us up and help us to find true life and peace and live in a relationship in the midst of our sickness in the midst of our trials and he gives the holy spirit to believers so that we will have this covenant partnership 24-7 that we will always be connected to God. People get so hung up with themselves and stuck in their own ruts and you know, doing things the way we've always done them that it's hard to accept the idea of following Jesus and going somewhere that we have no idea what's going to happen. I, I've heard so many excuses for why someone doesn't really want to change. Yeah, I think that God's calling me to this, but the struggle is too hard. I can't help the way I feel. That's, that's not how I was brought up. It's my parents' fault or my spouse's fault. It's anybody's fault but my own. I was born this way. You hear all sorts of excuses for why people don't want to follow Jesus, don't want to obey Jesus. It's just too hard. The struggle is just, it's, it's too hard to, to work through. But Jesus doesn't say follow me because He intends to drag us with all our sinful baggage Along with us, he says, I want you to drop what you're doing, to stop living life the way you've always lived it, leave all your junk behind, and follow me with open hands and an open heart. And I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change everything about you. If you're a real Christian, it doesn't matter how you were born. Because you're born again into a new life. And you're a new creation and God offers new resources and new strength. And, and, and all of it is to overcome the way you used to live life and to live a brand new life. And life actually becomes an adventure. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what's going to happen. But it's not going to be boring, that's for sure. And of course, having an adventure worth having is never easy. There's lots of work and there's lots of, of, of difficulty but it's good, and it 's worth it and right after the, the, after that story of healing the the sick people and casting out the demons, there's this interesting shift you know for we see him out of compassion and kindness reach out to peter 's mom and heal her, and then all these other sick people that are dealing with d- terrible things, and he heals them and and of course, people have heard about the miracles that jesus's been doing, and, and he 's always surrounded by these crowds and so the story shifts after that, and then in the passages that we get into, our scripture of the day, he's more, he starts to challenge the crowds. And we see this in other places too, where he's, he's, it's almost like he's making it look like he doesn't want people to follow him. And so he's, he's challenging their motivations for wanting to be close to him, and, ask, and saying, if you really want to follow me, you better count the cost. It, it almost seems like he's saying things in order to get rid of the crowds. Just last week, we heard him praise the centurion who was you know, a Gentile and an enemy soldier. And he told everybody how the faith of this enemy soldier was stronger than anybody else he'd seen in Israel. Which was kind of probably upset a whole lot of people. And he, and he speaks in parables at other times. And you probably remember when he says that only those who eat my flesh and drink my blood can have eternal life. Like he said things that were offensive sounding. And... He's not trying to shove people away, but what he's really doing is trying to draw the gold out of the impurities. To try to, he wants to connect with people who aren't just there for a show, who aren't just there to to get what I, what can I get out of this? He's trying to draw out those who are who truly want to follow him through thick and thin in that relationship to have a covenant with him. And and in our times, these days, there are plenty of people who go to church on Sundays and then they live like the rest of the world Monday through Saturday. Plenty of people who do that. And there are also plenty of people who do seem to do all the right things. They practice the various religious traditions out of habit or, or even legalism in some cases. But that's not what Jesus wants out of us. Jesus doesn't want the people who, who are live like heathens. And He doesn't want the people who are just living out of tradition. He wants us all to get out of both those comfort zones and get into a real relationship with Him so that our service is out of thankfulness and not out of tradition. So he challenges people's notions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And and there's this interesting contrast between the compassion and kindness of healing Peter's mom and then the sharp words that he said to a would-be follower in the next verse. in, In verse 18, now when Jesus saw a large crowd around him he gave orders to the uh, to go to the other side of the lake and of course the people followed him over there too because they and it says an expert of the law came to him and said teacher I will follow you wherever you go but Jesus knows what's in this man's heart and I don't know have you ever said something that you you didn't really feel but you knew it was what the other person wanted to hear like in the in the when, a, when the wife asks her husband, honey, do these pants make me look fat? No smart man is going to tell his wife, dear, it's not the pants fault. Of course not. He's going to say, dear, you look wonderful. And, and I think we say things all the time without really thinking, without really necessarily meaning it. Like, not like we're trying to lie, but we aren't, we aren't really, we think without, or we talk without thinking sometimes. And And Peter said the exact same thing to Jesus that this guy said. He said, Jesus, I'll never leave you, right? And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter did that. And so he knows what's in this guy's heart who's come up to him. And he knows that people make shallow commitments sometimes and they say things not knowing what they're talking about. So he doesn't sugarcoat what he's asking of of his followers before you speak too fast, you better know what you're getting into. That's kind of what he's saying. In verse 20, Jesus said to him, Fox have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Basically saying, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. You want to follow me into that? I'm not not telling you it's going to be nice and comfy. Jesus makes sure that we know that following him is not the way to an easy life. Jesus did not teach a prosperity gospel. Becoming a disciple doesn't make everything sunshine and rainbows. It will be difficult. It will be inconvenient and challenging. There will be trials and real hardships and persecution for making the choice to follow him. When Jenna and I were starting to think about seriously having a relationship, we we had a heart to heart and we sat down and I told her about my past and who I was and what I'd like for the future and she did the same for me and we agreed that we wanted the same trajectory and so we decided let's have a serious relationship and it wasn't just an emotionally driven romance it wasn't like oh you're so pretty let's get married it was let's let's make this a real commitment right let's let's make sure we're having an informed choice here and so that whatever life may bring that we'll be committed And I think Matthew gives us this juxtaposition between the story of healing Peter's mom and healing all these sick and demon-possessed people with this other story of talking to this guy and saying, hey, you're not going to have anywhere to sleep tonight if you follow me, because he wants us to know what we're getting into with Jesus. Of course, Jesus is full of kindness and compassion and a desire to help people. That means that following him is going to lead us to where people are the most broken. It's going to lead us into where there's, there's danger, but there are people in need of healing and new life. When I was a teenager, I was nothing but trouble. And, and, and yet God put people in my life who loved me in spite of myself. And He does that all the time. How many missionaries have been killed for trying to take the gospel into dangerous ter- territories? How many Christians have been arrested, or even worse, for sharing the gospel in public with, with people who needed to hear it. Jesus wants, uh, wants to lead us into the danger where the broken people are and the unwanted people are. And not many people really want to go there. So Jesus tries to get people to count the cost. Think about the decision you're going to make to make sure we know what we're getting ourselves into when we choose to follow Him. But, but even though it's dangerous and there will be troubles, being with Jesus is still the best place to be. I mean, life is difficult whether you're with Jesus or not. And it's got its ups and downs, but you can only have real peace and real joy and abundant life with Jesus. So we have to learn that it's not the circumstances of life that bring peace. It's that we have that covenant relationship with the Lord and we can trust Him and that we know that we've, we've got eternal life with Him. And, and having experienced both, having lived with Jesus and without Jesus, I would much rather have Jesus. I would much rather face the difficulties of life with my feet firmly planted on the rock that cannot be moved. To be able to cling to Him when, the, when difficulties come and, and go through, I would much rather face the difficulties with Jesus than to be going through all of that alone and unable to cling to, to anything solid. I've been there and I don't want to be alone. I want to be with Jesus. I would never have made it through life on my own. I'm sure I would have fallen apart and given up a long time ago if it had not been for that solid rock who, who I can trust will see me through everything. Verse 21, still in Matthew 18 says, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, God doesn't have a problem with funerals. That's not what he's saying here. But he, does, he doesn't want us to be double-minded. He, he, he wants us to make sure that our priorities are straight. And that, that means that our commitment to God needs to supersede all our other commitments. The covenant relationship with Jesus that, that he's calling us to is more important than our friends. It's more important than our jobs. It's more important than our, our financial well-being or our health or our country. or or even our family. And that's what he's saying. I want you to make sure that you know where your priorities are if you're going to follow me. The same way a bride and groom promise to love one another and forsake all others. That's what Jesus is calling. To put our relationship with him over everything else. And those of you who have lived out a covenant marriage, you understand that that you forsake others so that your relationship can be blessed. You want to have a good relationship and that's why you make it priority. And it's the same way God isn't trying to wreck our lives by saying, put everything else second. He's trying to bless our lives and and help us to, to have that covenant connection with Him that we were made for. And that's why it's so fundamental to know who God is, who Jesus really is. Do you truly know Jesus? Because if you really know and trust Him, then it won't matter where he asks you to go because you know he's going to take care of you, know that it will be worth it in the end. Yeah, it might be a little bumpy along the way and you'll face difficulties, but you know and you trust that it's going to be worth it because Jesus will not leave me alone. Jesus will not forsake me. He will not give up on me. And you can say, I will follow you anywhere, Lord. And I know it's going to be hard at times. and There might be times when I don't know where I'm going to lay my head at night, but I would rather be with you wherever you lead than anywhere else by myself is Jesus grace sufficient for you that's the choice we make i think i mentioned last week how the basic essence of sin is choosing to do life your own way like adam and eve i'm going to define for myself what's good and evil and they chose that apple looks good to me the apple that fruit looks good to me so i'm going to take it that's sin when you say i'm going to decide what's good i'm going to say this is good that's good and this is evil instead of choosing what God says is good people. How's the song go? I did it my way. That's the essence of sin, doing it my way instead of God's way. But Jesus says in John 12, uh, 25, the one who loves his life destroys it. The one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. So that's why we put Jesus as a priority because he's the only source of life. He's the only source of peace. He's the only source of joy. So if you choose to do it your way, you're cutting yourself off from life and peace and joy and, a, and, a, and eternity. And, and so Jesus calls us to follow him, to learn from him, to take on his yoke, He says, yeah, it's work, but it's a much lighter burden than it is to not take on my yoke, which means if you take on his yoke, you serve others. You go where people need it to to show love to your enemies, to take care of these brethren, the least of these, my brethren. We find out what compassion is really all about when we follow Jesus. And through following Jesus, we continue to be transformed, to become more and more like him in his image, from our old self-centered selves into new people who come to know more and more who God is and what real love and real kindness and real peace is all about, what joy is, what abundant life is. We come to learn that through following Jesus. Jesus makes it clear. Yes, there's a cost. And you should know that. And that's why he tells us to count it. But we should also consider what it will cost if we choose not to follow him. Yes, there's a cost to following Jesus but there's also a cost to doing it my way and we should understand both of those before we make our choice jesus made us he made every one of us he knows better he knows us better than we know ourselves he knows th- he knows your thoughts he understands your feelings he knows the number of hairs on your head he knows the he knows you down to the core and he knows what will bless you and what will destroy you he knows better than anybody what is good for you and what is not and most importantly He loves you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He wants to bless you and give you life? Are you willing to follow Him? Do you want to go through life as a covenant partner with the most powerful being that there is? The most loving being that there is? Or do you want to do things your way? It's your choice. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are willing to partner with us especially when we don't deserve it and that you want to to bless us and, and take care of us and guide us in life and empower us. And so I ask, Lord, if there's anyone in here who's having a hard time making that decision, that you would help them understand the cost of both directions that they can choose and help them make the right one. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.